Oh, good morning. Now, did you see that? That the guy who was healed, well, he was over 40. I want you to know that I'm going to take great encouragement from that when I get there. <laughs> right then, so we've kind of had a series, haven't we? We, we, we started uh, with Pentecost and the apostles uh, and the gathering were all filled with the Holy Spirit and out they went on the street and everybody heard people speaking in tongues and then they declared the gospel and lots of people were saved. And, and then the church began to form and inside they were very committed to each other and supporting each other, and outside they went and they preached the gospel, and even more people were saved. And then we got to the stage where Peter and John go up to the temple, we talked about this last week, and they haven't got any money, and they meet a lame man at the gate, beautiful, and they ask, he asks for money, and they say, we haven't got money, but what we have we give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And we heard last time that he received that word in faith, and that he responded in obedience and stood up, and then he rejoiced and gave glory to God. But Peter, the same way, he received the gift the Holy Spirit had given him in faith, and then he used it in obedience, because it's quite scary to say to people, be healed, isn't it? Uh, and then, when he was healed, he rejoiced and gave glory to God by preaching the gospel. And again, a lot of people were saved. So, here we go. There's a disturbance in the temple. Remember, it is in the temple. And the disturbance in the temple draws the attention of the top brass. I was trying to explain an important Scottish word to Catherine uh, in the office this week, and I was talking about the high hegens. And this is a Scottish word meaning um, those with power and authority. Um, it is like a lot of special Scottish words. It, it has a certain emotional content to it. Uh, and um, if I said that it's not packed with respect, I think you maybe get the certain, um, you know, suppress the rebellious Scots rationale behind all of that. But anyway, it went to the high hegens. And, and of course, Peter and John were not like... Uh, that Scottish word. They were, in fact, quite respectful. But anyway, there they are before the Jewish leaders. The Jewish leaders are alarmed, and they're alarmed because there's been a disturbance in the temple. Now, the first concern for the people who are in charge of the temple is that that disturbance doesn't draw attention to the civil authorities who were the Romans the Romans did not like disturbance, and when they wanted to put down disturbance, um, they were absolute in the way that they did it. So there was an anxiety in the, in the Sanhedrin. So they come, and they say to them, what are you about? Now, this is kind of a good time to look at the spiritual battle that's going on here, and it's, it's kind of the start of a spiritual battle that carries on now. It's like the beginning. And this is what they say. They're, they are looking to guard against blasphemy. And so they say, by what name or in what power are you doing this? 
And that's quite a loaded question, but Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit, and he says, not only are we doing it in the name of Jesus Christ, but be clear about this, that there is no other name given to mankind by which you can be saved. That's very strong. So we have two elements here to Peter and John's witness. The first one is the miraculous healing, and the second one is the gospel message. Now, at the end of the day, we have to ask ourselves, which one bothers the Sanhedrin the most? And the reality is, it's, it's not the miracle. The miracle isn't the problem. They're not… well, they're a bit perplexed by the miracle, but it's not actually the problem. If you may. So, they're not disputing the, pro, the, the miracle. They know it happened. They're quite open about that. The issue isn't that. The issue is this name of Jesus. That's the problem. That's the problem. And that's what perplexed them. You see, ideally, this is the ideal for the Sanhedrin, is Peter and John turn up. So the miracle matters, because Peter and John turn up, the man jumps up and down and claims to be lame, and he isn't anymore. And they go, aha, we know you you're a bit of a fake, and they can show Peter and John up as frauds and charlatans, and ideally, because they're also using the name of Jesus, they can call them blasphemers, and they can have them put to death, and the whole thing go away. The trouble is that they can't do that because it is an actual genuine miracle, and they know the guy, and alarmingly, he is over 40 which kind of means that he is not a kid and he's sort of healed up on his own, but he's established. They know who he is. He's absolutely, this has been his life for some considerable time. So they can't do that. But the real problem isn't the miracle. Now, you see, the miracle could have ended up being a good thing. So if Peter and John had said, they got to that one, they said, this is a miracle done in the name of the great God Yahweh, which actually it was, technically, but, and therefore as a result, a bit like Old Testament prophets, as a result, recognize God's greatness, repent, fulfill your temple vows, and follow the authority of the temple. Well, if they did that, the Sanhedrin would be really happy. And as long as Peter and John obviously didn't get above their station, they'd quite possibly recognize Peter and John as prophets. So you see, the miracle isn't a problem. In fact, to be honest, in the right name, the miracle would have been a good thing, but that's not the problem. The problem is that the miracle is being used as a license to preach the gospel of Jesus. That's the problem. And this is the pattern that we see from Pentecost onwards. Something remarkable happens. It draws a crowd, the gospel gets preached, lots of people are saved, the authorities don't like it. Now, I don't know at what stage you kind of stop and think, I like the process, like the process, like the process, not very sure about the process. But it is the whole process. The whole process is that the Holy Spirit comes, all sorts of amazing things happen, not everybody likes that. Some people get very excited about that. Then we go out and preach the gospel. 
Not everybody likes that. Some people get very excited about that. Lots of people are saved. I know, but not everybody likes that. But some people like that. And then there's opposition. Not sure how many people like that. But that's the process. And that has gone on ever since. It hasn't stopped. And that's because we are a viable option. And this was the problem for the Sanhedrin. They are nervous now because Peter and John are saying, this is Jesus, and he is a viable option to the legal and religious system that, interestingly enough, you arranged with the Romans to have him executed to get rid of in the first place. And he's back. He's back. That's quite scary, isn't it, when we think about it? Okay, so enough. Where, where are we going with all of this? So you're thinking, yeah, 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 yeah. We heard it last time. Mark's been up and told us it. Dave's been up and read it. Why are we going over it all again? I want to go over it again, just so it's very clear in your mind, the process and the system and what's going on, because this reflects the battle that is going on in the world now. This reflects the battle which is going on in the world now. There is a battle in spiritual realms. It is a battle which is being waged. And it's a battle that none of us can avoid. We can't avoid it. Whatever we do, whatever we do, we are going to be contributing to one side or the other. And this battle rages all the time. So this is, let's start though. It's a spiritual war. It's a spiritual war. When Jesus rose from the dead, he did so in absolute victory. So I know this sounds a bit you know, counterintuitive. Why is there a battle if there's already been a victory? Well, we'll come to that. But this is what Colossians 3, 13 to 15 says. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, that's very much the legalism of both the law and our own attempts. God made you alive with Christ. He forgave you, us all our sins, and having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, He has taken away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Now, understand that Jesus' victory is absolute. The Bible tells us that those spiritual powers and authorities are defeated and are disarmed. So, how can you fight a war when you're already beaten? and you don't have any weapons. How do you do that? I'll tell you how. You get other people to do it for you. You get other people to fight it for you. That's how you do it. And that's an interesting way to look at it. So there's a war in the world. Excuse me, it's quite warm in here, isn't it? Are you warm? I'm warm. So we know that Satan opposed God's plan. Yes? Yep. Good. Because he did. He, he started to make it fail as best he could all the way through. He tempted Jesus to try and get Jesus to sin. Didn't work. 
He tried to discredit Jesus during his ministry. It didn't work. He tried to cover up Jesus' resurrection. It didn't work. And he's still trying to do it now. And we've got to remember this. As we get ever nearer to the day of judgment, Satan is desperate to disrupt the harvest of souls that God has already put his plan into place. But Satan wants to disrupt that. And he will use anything he can. Anything. He looks to mock God in every possible way. He goads human beings to ruin the planet, to ruin themselves, to ruin relationships, to break families, to go to war with rage and hunger and thirst for everything and anything which pulls people away from the gospel. He drives people to hate God, to hate His church. He whispers lies and sends out loud messages. He inflates people with a sense of their own importance, and he covers others with a dark cloud of inadequacy. He tells people it's unjust. He tells people it's unfair. He tells people they're missing out and that they're being wronged. He tells people that they're suffering needlessly, and it's all God's fault. Satan will use every possible weapon, every weapon that's left to him, to take people from the gospel. And let's face the truth, he has many willing servants. However, it's not just a war in the world. This war has been brought into the kingdom as well. And the plan is this. If I can't stop people being Christians, I will try and make them as ineffective as I possibly can. And that's what I'll do instead. And there's a war. So he makes Christians busy with nothing, tired, scared, disobedient, rebellious, unforgiving, precious, harsh, prayerless, passive, distracted, hung up on minutiae, on gossip, on consumerism, on past hurts, on future terrors. It's just anything. He wants the church to be broken. He wants the church to be divided. He wants the church to be full of gossip and grumbling. He wants the church to be full of dissension and dispute. He wants false teaching. He wants false practice. He wants false leaders, and he wants vicious members. He wants a long record of unforgiven wrongs, and above all, above everything, more vital than any of that, he wants to wipe the name of Jesus off the lips of everyone. That's the most important thing. So let's not mistake that we're at a war. There are countries in this world where the mention of Jesus will attract punishment by authorities and that you will be taken into prison and what you're doing is shut down, particularly in modern developments with a particular of India at this time. There are some countries where there's no actual law that says that using the name of Jesus is blasphemy, but by being identified as a Christian, the media and the public reaction is so extreme that Christians run the risk of being murdered. Think of places like Egypt, northern Nigeria, all manner of places. But there's another kind of pervasive law, 
And it's this. It identifies the gospel and the teachings of the Bible as being blasphemous in a secular sense. So that those who endorse them are hounded by the media, are pilloried by the public, and are forced out of work. We've got to the stage where someone publicly said not long ago that by being an evangelical Christian, having a job with a political life is untenable. It's to say it's blasphemy. It's blasphemy to comply with conscience rather than compromise. Now, I don't say this to make a political point, but just to illustrate that the weapons of modern spiritual warfare are all around us, that we are at war, and the war has not changed, and the war continues, and the war is not somewhere else. The war is right here, and it continues right here, and all of us are affected by it, and it affects us 24-7. That's the reality, and it the first volley that we saw, the first volley that we saw was when the Sanhedrin said, we must warn these men to no longer speak in that name. Say anything but Jesus. You can mention God, you can mention church, you can mention Christian, you can mention person of faith, you can mention believer, but whatever you do, do not say Jesus. That war continues today. And why does Satan want Jesus' name wiped off? This is why, because there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. See, it's a heavenly decree laid down by Jesus' victory on the cross. This is what Philippians 2 says. You probably, if you come to church regularly, will have heard this. And if you haven't heard it before, I'd really like you to hear it now. It says this, God exalted him, that's Jesus, to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name, a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee must bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue must confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, if you hate the name of Jesus, then you will hate the God who has decreed that that name is higher than any other, and you will hate anybody who treats it with that kind of respect. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a war. This is a war. Let's be clear. We do not return hate with hate. Can we be clear about this? We return hate with love. We return contempt with respect. We return aggression with peace. We turn the other cheek. We speak peaceably. We speak gently. We do not return evil for evil, but the hatred for the name of Jesus is the driving force for the spiritual battle that rages in the world. That is the thing. However, here's the good news. So, enough bad news. It's not really bad news, it's just reality. It's a bit like saying it's raining outside. 
Do you know what I mean? If you, look, if you come from where I am, if it's raining outside is bad news, you're going to be miserable for most of your life. Well, wait a minute. Yeah, okay, I, I can see where that's, why that's happened. Anyway, but it does. You know, hey, at least it's not snowing. But here we go. It, what we have here is, is spiritual kryptonite. You know about kryptonite? Yeah, who, who's not heard of kryptonite? Anybody not heard of kryptonite? Kryptonite is the substance which kills Superman. Okay, little note here, I, and, and I'm checking for children. Okay, Superman isn't a real person. Kryptonite isn't a real substance. It's a story, but it's a good analogy. So, if you're Superman, and there is a bunch of people, and they are sitting on top of a mine of kryptonite... So there you are. There's a whole group of people on top of a kryptonite mine, and you are Superman. What do you do? This, you are looking to make kryptonite unfashionable. You're making kryptonite grounds for anger and mockery. You would look to link kryptonite to atrocities and suffering. You would look to make the people who had kryptonite the subject of bullying and oppression. You would get famous and cool people to denounce kryptonite publicly. You would make it everyone's legal right to live without kryptonite and present anyone who did like kryptonite as dangerous and anti-freedom. The name of Jesus is spiritual kryptonite. It's the name that sucks the illusion of power from Satan and shows him up to be frightened and defeated. It is our spiritual kryptonite. This is what James 4 says, submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. In whose name do we we resist the devil? By praying and speaking openly in the name of Jesus, we suck out the power. We suck out the power. So have you worked out why it is that everybody tries to stop Christians seeing Jesus? Why is it that in a workplace, why is it in a public space, why is it even in the media that we can talk about God We can talk about the Bible, especially if we say that it doesn't say what it actually says. We can talk about being churchgoers. We can talk about being religious. We can talk about having faith. We can talk about all of those things. But as soon as we start talking about Jesus, then we start to get some trouble. Why do you think that is? This is not an accident. This has happened inside and outside the church since the resurrection. And we are in a war. We are in a war. And we are affected. So this is a spiritual war. Let me just ask you, what is your spiritual war? Is it fear and anxiety? Is it past sin? Is it past hurt? Are you always looking for something else? Do you always feel that you're not good enough? Do you think maybe others aren't good enough? Do you always think that there's something more out there? Something that you never quite seem to find? Something that makes you feel special or content 
or at peace. Something that will stop you feeling bored and unfulfilled. Is it all just too embarrassing? I mean, are you just afraid that you'll never have any life? Or never have any fun? Or never have any friends? It's a war. It's a war to stop us. It's to remove the name of Jesus. But the good news is nothing can actually do that. Nobody and nothing can stop the name of Jesus. Nobody and nothing can stop the name of Jesus. He's already won the war, you see. He, he already has that authority. Remember what God said? God has given him a name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee bows. I, I taught for a while... Um, we did a training course. I used to say to this that people don't like the name of Jesus because this is what happens. When we use the name of Jesus with respect and using his authority, everything in creation dips its knee a little bit. And people and powers that don't like dipping the knee get angry because it's a war. It's a war. But here's the thing. He and He alone can save us from the inevitable consequences of sin. He and He alone can rescue us from the war that goes on inside. He and He alone can send the devil packing at a word. He and He alone has the power to transform lives. He and He alone, He and He alone will be the reason for joy when the day of judgment comes. There will only be one reason for joy. Nothing else, no one else, ever. Nothing can stop him. So let's get back to our common Bible themes. There are two sides. Yes, I know we talk about this a lot because the church is told this a lot in the Bible about the contrast, life and death, dark and light, God or money, slave or free, law or grace. And Jesus used these also. So we see there are two sides. We're either serving one or we're serving the other. Serving one, serving the other. Can't serve them both. What was it Bob Dylan said? You've got to serve somebody. Maybe the devil, maybe the Lord, but you've got to serve somebody. And in contrast, to Superman, Bob Dylan is an actual person, just, just, just so you know. I know you know, because your boy likes him. Anyway, there we go. Now, yeah, now, here's a question, though, and it is a bit of a challenge, is do we actually serve both? Do we serve both? And the answer is, well, yes, actually, probably. Probably we do. I know I'd like to be that single-minded as well, but do we? Yes, we do. And it works like this. Here's Paul. Paul challenges the duality the dichotomy that is the spiritual battle. It says, that, however, is not the way I was talking about rebellion. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and be made new in the attitude of your minds and put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Do you know what the two sides, old self, new self, 
Bible does this a lot. It's a good thing. I like it. It's just as well, really, isn't it? Because, yeah. Anyway, therefore, each of you should put off falsehood. This is still Paul talking, and he's telling the Ephesian church. Therefore, each of you should put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. That's an idea, isn't it? There's your test. If I say what I'm going to say now, will it benefit those who are listening, or will it not? There's a question. That it will benefit those who are listening. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of grace. Get rid of bitterness, rage, anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice, but be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ it just as in Christ, God forgave you. See, both sides. Unwholesome talk, when we discredit the efforts of others, when what we say wounds or discourages, when we can't be bothered, when we just can't let it go, we're serving a side. When we are honoring and serving, when we are truthful and encouraging, when we are building up others and blessing, when we are joyful and enduring and persevering and praying and praising and participating, and when we are using the name of Jesus with honor, we're serving aside. <laughs> now, it's quite easy, I don't know about you, it is for me, it's quite easy to do great good with one hand and cause quite a lot of harm with the other. Do you have that particular talent? I am I'm good at this, by the way. So you can show the love of Jesus in the morning and the consequence of your sinful nature in the afternoon. <laughs> we need to recognize that this is a war. This is a war. I, I, do you get caught up in this? I find people that I'm really desperate to bless. And uh, they live quite close to people that I struggle not to resent. Does that, does that happen to you? Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I, I, I'm around people who, who I really admire and think they're doing a great job. And, and, and they're in reasonable proximity to people I wish would stop. Does that happen to you? Whose problem is that? This is my problem. This is, this is a war for me. And how do I resolve that? By going over a big long list of all the reasons why the person I like is likable, and then clearly making a significantly longer list of the people, the things about the person I don't like, they're not likable, and why they really irritate me, and why that's okay. That is taking a side, but it's not Jesus' side. Resist the devil. We must rebuke our attitude in Jesus' name. Choose a side. If we don't choose a side for ourselves, then we as a church will struggle to choose a side. 
And if we as a church struggle to choose a side, then we are going to struggle to be part of the wider church choosing a side. And so it goes on and so it goes on. We, all of us, have influence. Do you know why we have influence? Because we have the name of Jesus. And guess what? At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. That's quite a lot of influence, isn't it? That's a reasonable amount of influence. We need to be clear. It's a spiritual war. So we see the first salve, the first volley from the Sanhedrin of a war which says you must stop. You must stop using this name of Jesus. And what do we see today, this morning? We see that same war raging in this town, in this county, in this country, and across the world. It takes different forms, but it's still there. It pervades each workplace, each school. It pervades many communities, lots of social activities where you find till you mention Jesus. It's a, it's a war. It's a war. It's a challenge to us to be relevant and upright, but continue to fight. The only way we can do that is to use the name of Jesus. So, this is what Peter and John said, judge for yourself, whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God, because we can't help talking about what we have seen and heard. Has Jesus done a work in your life? Have you seen it? Can you help talking about it? Judge for yourself what is right. It is a challenge. In the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. So let's finish. Do you want to have that victory? Trouble is inevitable. That's life. But do you want to have a life where trouble does not defeat you and where your joy can be unspoiled and your hope absolute? That's on offer. We're not offered a trouble-free life. We try very hard in this group to try and make that pretty clear. Nobody gets a trouble-free life, but that doesn't mean that our troubles should defeat us. In the name of Jesus, we have victory over the power that that has on us. Come to Jesus. He's won the war already. He died on the cross. He rose again, and He gave us victory. But what is your battle? What is your battle? told you a little bit about some of the battles I have. And I have, we, we're all in a war, we all have battles. <laughs> do you give that to Jesus? Do you need to do it again? Which side are you serving? It's not easy. Which side? But if we honor the name of Jesus, are you honoring the name of Jesus? Or has it fallen off your lips? Has it fallen off your lips? I, I, are, you, are you finding yourself using the Jesus alternatives more often than using the name of Jesus on your lips. That's the battle plan. Get the name of Jesus off your lips. It's effective. It's subtle. It's clever. Sometimes it's frightening. But in the name of Jesus, we can overcome that. What is it? Is it time to realign? As the song, there's an old, old song which says, in the name of Jesus, Jesus, we have the victory. Do you want to know that victory today? Do you want to know that victory today because you can have it? You can, you can have it now. You can, you can have your life turned completely around.
Those things that are defeating you now won't defeat you any longer because in the name of Jesus, we have it. Let's be victorious people. Let's be bold and use the name of Jesus. Let's not give in to the war. Let's choose a side. If you want to know the right side to be on, if you're undecided, can I just make a strong suggestion? Choose the winning side. Just, just as a guess, you know, choose the one that's actually going to win. Um, there it is. I don't know about you, I chose a football team out of loyalty. It was a big mistake. The good thing about being loyal to Jesus is that he's the winner. He's the winner. Choose that today. Let's pray. Thank you. Lord Jesus, we just want to apologize for the times when we should have used your name and we didn't. For the times when we should have stood up and we didn't. And Lord, the times we should have stood up to ourselves and didn't. Lord, I just want to repent of the times when I indulge myself. I indulge myself in self-pity. I indulge myself in the wrongs that others are doing me. I indulge myself in the frustrations. Instead of using the name of Jesus to rebuke the lies of the enemy and look to see what I can say and do to build up and encourage. Lord, I repent of that again. Please forgive me. Give me new strength, I pray in Jesus' name. Lord, lift this church up. Challenge us, but encourage us. Give us the strength and the boldness to choose the winning side. Let us know. Give us eyes that see the lies and deception. Give us hearts that believe the truth and the power. And let us go out in Jesus' name. Amen.